Well, as they're taking their seats, if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, if you would turn to the book of Nehemiah, uh, the scripture goes 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. That ought to give you a hand helping it out, finding it. Uh, not quite in the book of Matthew today. I want you to know that uh, I missed you last week while I was gone, uh, and I tell you, I'm, I'm grateful to be back. I... I find myself missing Windsor, honest to God, when I'm gone because the rest of the world is so busy. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I miss the pace of life here in town. I miss being able to walk places and you have to drive everywhere. Uh, there's a lot here that, uh, that I have uh, fallen in love with real quick. And so one of the things I'm most grateful for is when I got back, I saw some of you and you said, we missed you while you were gone. And so I'm always glad to get, we missed you while you were gone instead of, oh, you're back. Uh, so thank you. And, uh, for Dr. Tarkington who filled in and, uh, and Ed on Wednesday night, I want to tell you guys, thank you. Um, uh, you guys are a great people to, uh, come back to and, uh, being away from you guys makes me, uh, makes me miss you. And so we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what happened while I was gone. Uh, I preached a revival for a church outside of Raleigh. Uh, the church is in Pittsburgh. It's right off 64. So you jump on 64 in Williamston, and then you get off of 64, uh, two blocks, and you're at the church. It's a, pretty much a straight shot if it wasn't for the Beltline. And um, it, was a, it was a pretty good-sized church, and they had uh, just a lot of people who it seemed like the Holy Spirit uh, got all over while I was gone preaching revival. And uh, a lot of commitments were made, not a lot of commitments uh, for salvation, but a lot of people growing in the Lord and uh, finding what it means to fully surrender uh, to the Lord. And so I, I preached to them a handful of messages that I had already run by you guys that seemed to go pretty well. And uh, I realize even more, this is my first time ever preaching a, a real full revival um, there's a reason why all those revival speakers sound good. It's because they've preached those messages three and four times and they've got them, uh, filed down to where they sound pretty good. And so I wish that I would have preached those sermons, uh, to you guys, how I feel like they went to those guys. Uh, so I'm grateful to be able to try it out on you all and then, uh, then really give it to them good, huh? That's what revival's all about. Anyways, uh, in preaching revival, uh, the first few nights I feel like went really well and the last night, uh, I had no peace about what to preach. Uh, and so, like any good revival speaker, I kind of went up to the, the pulpit and I had three or four or five things that I could have preached. Uh, and I, and as everybody was singing before the sermon, uh, I really felt like God said, put those down and give your testimony and share kind of how the Lord has brought you from when he called you to follow him in salvation to how you got to where you are right now. And so I kind of walked through what that looked like. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of army stories that I shared. There was a lot of uh, me resisting God and then me finally giving in and following God. And at the end, I kind of thought, you know, this went well, but I'm not really sure if that's what God wanted or not. And so as everybody was kind of filing through the last night and we were saying our goodbyes, a man came up to me and he said, he said, hey, my, my son is in the Marine Corps. And a couple days ago, he was traveling from wherever he was on vacation or on leave back to Jacksonville. And he said, and his truck broke down. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, well, I gave him a ride to the base. And then the base gave him three days to go back and fix his truck and get back to base. And I said, well, that's, that's great. I've, I've never really heard of them giving you three days to go get something, but, but great. 
And he said, I want you to know that we fixed his truck in a matter of hours. And because of that, he's been able to spend all of these nights here in revival. And this is his last night. And I said, wow, that's really neat. And he said, in the stories you shared about you being in the military and running from God, that's exactly where he is. And so it really seemed that the last night kind of... Uh, God had this one kid in mind, and I, I didn't get a chance to meet the kid, but uh, I'm super excited that God had worked things together the way that he did. And I hope that some of my hard-headedness and running from God is able to benefit somebody, and they don't have to make the same mistakes that I made. And so in saying all of that, um, I did a lot of uh, praying for us, and I feel like we need to take a break from the book of Matthew. And I'm going to walk you through the story of Nehemiah. And ultimately what uh, I want the, the theme of the message to be is I want us to talk about repentance. And I'm not going to call you to repentance, okay? Uh, I think that we've done that a lot. Most of you are like, oh gosh, what else could we pile on uh, that we need to possibly repent of? Uh, you, you ever been there as a Christian where you're just like, oh, for the love, just preach something easy. And, uh, well, I hope this is my best effort. Okay. This is what I'm going to do. And so just as I was telling all those, uh, those, uh, old army stories to those guys, and we were walking through, uh, what God had done in my life, I feel like I need to kind of remind you, uh, where I come from. Um, I came from a, a branch in the military where, uh, it was tough and day-to-day life was tough and they were always pushing us to be better, to be better, to be better. And they were always pushing us physically and mentally and everything else too. Uh, because listen, when you're underwater and everything goes south, you have nobody else to rely on but yourself. Okay. There's nobody that swims down to 200 feet to save you from anything that you've gotten yourself into until you train and you train and you get better and you get better until you're the best at it. And so there was this guy that was in our unit and I hated him. Uh, and now I remind, now (laughs) I remind myself of him and I don't always like it, but I didn't like him. Some of you are like, preaching a sermon about repentance and you start out with hate. This is not a good way to go. Well, we would be running in the morning and uh, it was a love-hate relationship. I I loved to hate him and uh, he loved to be hated. And so we were were a good match. Anyways, this fellow was, uh, he had just gotten back from Q school. If you know anything about the military, Q school is your special operations uh, entrance test. And so there's just miles and miles and miles of walking and running and everything else you can imagine. And they weed everybody out. Well, he had passed. And, and he and I met when he was in kind of the phase where you're waiting for the school to open up and then you leave. And so we would be running in the morning and we would run everything that we were, we normally did. And then we would start to run faster and we would keep running. And we would be like, come on, dude, we don't want to go where you're going. We don't have any desire to go where you're going. We're good right here. And he would look back at us and he would say, the only way to run faster is to run faster. And we would go, that's what jerks say. Like, that's, like, that's not what normal people say. We Stop. Stop running. And so sometimes I feel like, I'm the pastor who says the only way to grow spiritually is to continue repenting and repenting and repenting. And so we have only, we have only been walking through the things that God has said. Um, but I feel like I've been pushing us at a pretty good pace. And so I want you to see something here in Nehemiah about repentance. And hopefully that you find joy and comfort in this after we leave. Now, if you've been here and you've been trying to live that life of repentance that we've been talking about, and you've been working through in your own life what these words of Jesus mean, then this is for you, okay? This is for you if you have been putting your head to the plow and not looking back and trying to grow in Christ. 
if you're here and you haven't been trying to grow in Christ, make no mistakes. You shouldn't give this one a lot of a lot of thought. This one, this one is not for you. This is for the believer who is here, for the member of our church who is trying and exhausted. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll jump into the book of Nehemiah. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, we thank you for your servant Nehemiah. And Lord, I pray that his life, uh, his life of leadership, would be uh, encouraging to us. Lord, I pray that the people of Israel in his day and their actions would bring us nothing but encouragement. And Father, I pray that you would help us to repent the way that they repented. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have restoration the way that they experienced restoration. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of the things that you're going to do amongst us in advance. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so now putting all of that behind us, and hopefully you know where I'm coming from, we jump into the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was in the land of Babylon after the captivity. You guys remember that Daniel was also in Babylon during the captivity. Daniel prayed for the people to be released, and the people are released back to Israel. And so the people inhabit the city of Jerusalem again, but Jerusalem had already been ransacked, and they were in the rebuilding stages. And so Nehemiah is a governor for the king, or excuse me, he's a cupbearer for the king, and he walks into the king's place one day, and he just looks sad. He's never been sad in front of the king before, and now Nehemiah comes to the king with this long face, and the king says, Nehemiah, what gives? What's going on? You've never been sad in my presence before. Why are you sad now? And Nehemiah looks at the king, and he says, why should I be happy, O king, when all of my people are living in distress in Jerusalem? And the king goes, What can we do about it? And he says, well, king, if I found favor in your sight, send me back. And send me back with letters from you. Send me back with supplies. And send me back with people so that we can rebuild the walls around the city. And the king says, okay, how long are you going to be gone? And so Nehemiah gives him a definite amount of time that he's going to be gone. And listen to what he says when he's praying. This is the Nehemiah is praying to the Lord. And he says in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 8. He says, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, those of you who have been scattered in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And so he reminds God. This is something healthy for you to do sometimes. Remind God of some of his promises. If you don't feel he's being faithful to his promises, there's nothing wrong with you reminding him and saying, hey, this is how I feel based on what you say. And then he says, look what he says towards the people, verse 10. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. And so if you are here and you are a child of God, you need to know that you, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's children, no matter where you find yourself in life. And you have been redeemed and you are a child of God. And you need to be reminded of that, that no matter what life looks like, no matter how much despair you feel has come your way, You're a redeemed child of God who has been redeemed by God's power and by his hand. And so if you were to keep flipping through the book of Nehemiah, go ahead and flip over to chapter 4. And I'm going to tell you some more of the story. 
We're going we're gonna to start back in chapter 4, verse 19. And so Nehemiah, he takes some horses and he takes some supplies and he goes back to the city of Jerusalem. And if you're a, if you're a leader of people here, Nehemiah is a great leadership book. You can be twice the leader you are just simply by reading through Nehemiah and taking some observations from his life. Anyways, so he goes back to Jerusalem, and he doesn't tell people what he's about. But he gets off of his horse, he spends the night, doesn't tell people why he's there, and overnight he sneaks out and he assesses the given situation, and he sees what sort of condition the wall is in, and then he makes plans to fix the wall. And so he announces to the people what's going to happen. He announces to them that uh, the governor has... The king has turned him loose to be the governor to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And this wall is going to be uh, safety and everything else around them. And so what happens is that people begin to attack what he's doing. Anybody who sets out to do any great work of God is going to be attacked by somebody. And so you have Nehemiah who goes to rebuild these walls around Jerusalem so that God's people can be safe inside the city. And the neighboring countries hear of this. And so the neighboring countries uh, begin to send messages and they go, hey, look at that. You guys, that's great that y'all are building a wall, but it looks more like you're putting Lincoln logs together because if a fox were to jump on the wall, the whole thing would crumble. And so the surrounding nations are sending these letters to Jerusalem to discourage them from the things that they're doing. And then you find even that some of the people inside of Jerusalem are being discouraging all the while and they're, they're taking advantage of the poor and there's all of these other things that are going on while this work is being done on the wall. And so you get to a certain point in the story and the neighboring countries realize that they're not going to be able to discourage Nehemiah and the people from building the wall because they are... Um, they're not stubborn, but they're very deliberate people and they have this mission from God and they're going to do what God has called them to do. And so they're building the wall, building the wall. Well, the neighboring countries, they decide to, um, move their armies right next to the wall. And so now there's no longer just insults that are being hurled, but now the neighboring armies are right there within sight of the wall and the people begin to get discouraged. And so what Nehemiah does as a good leader is he begins to station his soldiers as guards around the wall to protect the people. And that doesn't help either. And so he takes another step to comfort the people. And he issues weapons to all the people. And so now the people are rebuilding the wall and they have weapons on their side also. And so then he goes a step beyond that and he has the people alternate. So now everybody has a weapon, but now there's two people working somewhere and one is a guard and one person is working. And so he is, he has motivated all these people to get in the game and rebuild this wall. You've got little girls that are building the wall. You have priests that are building the wall. You have goldsmiths that are building the wall. And so there's this giant work of God that has to be done and everybody chips in and everybody's working and everybody's doing a specific area of the job, but they're still a little bit scared. And so what Nehemiah does is he says, okay, we've done all of these things. This is the final thing that we're going to do. I'm going to stage people with trumpets all along the wall. And when you hear a trumpet go off, all of you drop what you're doing and you run to where you heard the first trumpet. And when you hear the trumpet, we're all going to fight together. And you know, that's where the fighting is. And so that's good. That's kind of a, an old-fashioned way of handing out two-way radios to everybody. Now everybody can call for assistance if they need it. Now everybody has a cell phone now, okay? So if you get in trouble, you can tell everybody else that you're in trouble. And so listen to what Nehemiah does. He says in chapter 4, verse 19, I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. 
At whatever place you hear the sound of our trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. And so on top of all of these things, on top of all of the leadership principles that Nehemiah has put into place, he reminds them that even though we've done all of these things and done all of this organizing, when you hear the trumpet rally together, and when we do that, when we've done everything that we can do, then you need to know that our God is going to fight for us. And I want to remind you, That these people you're going to see, they probably didn't remember all of the stories of God fighting for the people. They probably didn't remember all that. And that'll make sense a little bit in a while. But you do. You remember all of these Old Testament stories that we've gone through. And I want you to know that when you live a life of repentance, when you live a healthy life of repentance, when you get to the end of yourself, that's when God kicks in and he begins to fight for you on your behalf. You see, you can't and we can't keep going through life just dabbling and fixing sin and everything else. But the life that you want, the life I know that exists as a Christian that I want for you comes when you get to the end of yourself and you're finished repenting, which you you never actually do. hate to spoil it for you. There's always new sin that creeps in. But when you've dealt with everything in your life that you know of, that's when real life begins. And so that's one of the reasons that I push us as a church to continually uh, examine ourselves and walk in repentance. And so you keep flipping uh, over and flip to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. And so what happened is that Nehemiah is successful in building the wall. And once the wall is built, once all of the gates are hung and there's safety in the land, Nehemiah gets all the people together. And now he's going to have Ezra read the book of the law to the people. You remember the book of the law? That's the book of Deuteronomy that Moses has given. And every time a, a new king is given... They're supposed to read the book of the law out loud, and they're supposed to make a fresh copy by hand for themselves. And so listen to what happens when the people come under the reading of God's word. This is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And so this is what's happened. All the people are gathered, all of the people who are old enough to understand uh, verbal words that are being read. So anybody who can understand a story is here. And Ezra begins to read, and he reads to the people for about six hours from God's word. You're like, ooh, I hope that's not what you got in mind for today. Loosen up, gang. Loosen up. So they read for six hours. And listen to what happens. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it up, all the people stood up. And so out of reverence of the reading of God's word, 
all of the people stood to their feet. Then Ezra, verse 6, Bless the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so these are the type of people who they finished the work that God has had for them. And then, just at the reading of God's word, they realized their sin and they bow and they worship the Lord. And so they get on their faces in front of God just at the reading of God's word. And you go, wow, that is what repentance looks like. When people hear the reading of God's word and then they realize where they are and where God is and they bow low and they worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then it says in verse 9, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And so what's going on here is that the people are weeping, and it's not just a controllable thing where, okay, God's people are bowing and they're worshiping, and this whole thing is reverence, but this whole thing is reverent, but this seems to be that these people are so consumed with sin that they're weeping and they're mourning uncontrollably, and now it's gotten to the point where this is no longer a healthy weeping and mourning, but this is a little bit out of control, and now this repentance has turned into self-destructiveness. Okay? Repentance doesn't need to be self-destructive. Okay? Repentance, when done right, is let's say that you get under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't even have to be about something that I say. But God does all sorts of strange things in people's lives while someone's preaching. I mean, there's been sermons on, I don't even know what, and God's just dealt with me and said, you need to get that right with God. And I'm like, but that's not what he was talking about. And he says, I don't care. You need to deal with that now. And so you may go down to the altar and pray about something completely different than what's being preached. But when you come to the altar to deal with God, to do business with God, repentance looks like this. You have a heartfelt sorrow that you have been grieving God, right? You realize your sin. You realize that that grieves the heart of God until you come to the altar and you confess that sin as sin. And then you move on from there and you don't stay in the sin. And that's what repentance looks like. Repentance is not a continual go home and continue to beat yourself up and mourn because you're so bad. It's not like that at all. Genuine, real, biblical repentance is that you pray and you confess and then you move on. I want to read you a couple, uh, a couple verses. Listen to Matthew chapter 6. We covered this one already. You don't have to turn to these. I'm going to fly through a couple. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, which is what I talked to you about repentance is confessing sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so this means that a genuine repentance is a coming to the altar. And the altar could be the foot of your bed. It could be in your car. Uh, God has dealt with me more probably driving down the road than he ever has anywhere else. But you come to the Lord with confession and repentance. And then after you repent and confess, he is faithful to forgive your sins. And you, when you about face and walk back to your seat, you walk back forgiven as a child of God. You don't walk back under condemnation. 
And I feel like that that's some of the things that we have left off of some of our sermons. It's not just a beat yourself up, beat yourself up, get yourself right, run faster, run faster. But it's a God has a father's heart who wants to see his children redeemed and brought back into the family. And so what's going on here in chapter 9 is that the people are weeping and they're mourning. And Nehemiah and Ezra, they go time out. What's going on here? is probably not as productive as it needs to be. It's probably anti-productive. This is what needs to happen now. You're mourning over your sin and you're weeping and that's good. But you're going too far. And so what does he say? He says in verse 10, Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been known to them. And so the people are showing up, under, and they're, they're having God's word read to them. And presumably, they understand it for the first time. And Ezra realizes, okay, at this point, you've had enough. What you need to do is you need to leave here and you need to go home and you need to cook your best food and drink your best drink. And you need to enjoy God as a family because you have been restored back to fellowship with God. And now the best thing that you can do is stop beating yourself up, but go home and enjoy a meal together and enjoy being a part of God's family. And sometimes that's what we need to do. If you're here and you have been genuinely in repentance and you've been maybe even beating yourself up some and you're just worn out from the whole thing sometimes the best thing that you can do is cook up a good meal and pretend that god's there with you and enjoy that meal with the fellowship of god knowing that you are his child that you've confessed your sin and that as far as these things that he has dealt with you with you are walking in victory and you know that you are his and that's the best thing that you can do and so if you keep going Let me read a few more scriptures to you. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 and 26 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Peter, after preaching in the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the people say, what do we do? What do we do as a result of your preaching? He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so Peter, even in his first sermons, he's preaching this. What do we do? Okay, you repent of your sins and you turn to the Lord confessing your sin so that you can be refreshed. And brothers and sisters, during this Easter time, you need to be refreshed. And listen to this. Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities to the depth of the sea. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're here and you have that heart of repentance and you don't feel like you're being restored, know that as soon as you confess and repent... God blots out your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he hurls your sin into the sea. And you don't have to deal with it anymore. It is gone under the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's where our hope lies. And that's what separates us. 
as conservative Baptist evangelicals. That's what separates us from all sorts of other religions is that you don't have to walk around beating yourself. You don't have to go on pilgrimages. You don't have to do all of these works in order to get to heaven. The works that you do are simply confession of sin, repentance, and then he does the rest. Amen? And hopefully that's encouraging. But what happens after all of this? What happens after the refreshing time comes. What happens after Nehemiah sends the people home and sends them home to enjoy food together, to enjoy fellowship back with God? Listen to what these godly people do. It says in verse 13, Then on the second day, the heads of fathers, households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe so that they might gain insight into the words of the law. Now listen. Even though you repent, and even though you're restored, and even though your sins are forgiven, we don't stay in that relaxation period. But we as Christians, we get back in the game and we go, okay, thank you, God, for showing me my sin, my need for repentance. Thank you for restoring me. How else can I improve now? Like you showed me my fault. We've gotten that thing right. Real Christians, real Christians show back up the next day and they say, God, bring it on. Let's do it again. And so the people show back up to Ezra. And then it says in verse 14, listen to this. They found written in the law. Listen to this. This is a group of men. This is heads of households. And it says they found something. So you get the picture that this is a group of men who didn't grow up under the scriptures. This is a group of men who are finding things in the scriptures for the first time. You ever been reading through the scriptures, found something for the first time and, and had to share it with somebody? You're just excited about what you found in the scriptures? Listen to what they find. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And so if you don't remember, this feast that came about on the seventh month was called the Feast of Booths. Everybody who was a Jew, everybody who was a uh, a follower of God, they were to leave their homes and they were to all congregate around the tabernacle or the temple and they were to live in tents for a week. Right? This is what the celebration was. It was so that they could remember their leaving the wilderness following God. And so everybody is supposed to be once a year leaving their house and building a tent somewhere close to God's house so that they could tell their kids the stories of how God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now listen to this. So the people went out and they made and they bought booths. Verse 17. The entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. And so everybody obeyed. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. Remember when God gives the commandments to Moses? He says, this is what I want you to do. Remember that Joshua takes over after Moses. From the time of Joshua... Until the time way after the captivity, you're talking 600 years, it said they never did this. 
the sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. For hundreds of years, they realized that their fathers had been disobedient to the commandments of God. And so, brothers and sisters, even though we repent and God restores us, we have to be people who are digging into this word. And we're asking God to show us how to walk with him day in and day out. Not just following the way that our fathers did it because our fathers may have missed something. And so we need to dig in here and we need to ask God, show us, is there something that we're not doing that we should be doing? And you'll find that day in and day out, these men, these leaders of their households, leaders of Israel, were coming to Ezra saying, show us how to live this life. Show us how to walk this walk following Christ. And then when they did it, even for the first time, listen to what it says. And there was great rejoicing. And so the people realized that for hundreds of years, they had been disobedient to Christ. And instead of sitting there going, we never did it before. Why do we have to do it now? No, it says they saw they were supposed to do it. And they did it for the first time in hundreds of years. And they did it with great rejoicing. And listen, if you were here at our church and you participated in our church-wide fast, and you came on that Wednesday night, you would have seen what obedience with great rejoicing looks like. There were men here who told me, we have never heard about fasting before. And so we did more teaching on it. And then we fasted together and we prayed together. And when we got together on Wednesday night, it was one of the most exciting church meetings I had ever been to since I've been here at Kashai. Because we as a group were doing something that was in his word and it was new. And nobody did it complaining, but everybody did it joyfully. And there was, it was a time of rejoicing where we, I felt, were all stronger as a result of our collective obedience to God. And so great rejoicing took place when the people realized that they hadn't been obeying and then they started obeying. And so, brothers and sisters, all of that to tell you, to culminate in, it's Palm Sunday, to culminate in the book of Mark chapter 8, verse 34. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen if you want. It says, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. And so I say everything that I said to you today to say, brothers and sisters, there is comfort in resting in God and bringing your sins to God and trusting that he has forgiven you. And I say all of that to say that I push us towards repentance and I push us hard towards repentance a lot of times because I know that when you fully surrender to God, that's where real Christianity begins. And when you, excuse me, and this real Christianity begins when you get to the end of yourself. And real comfort from Christ begins when you get to the end of yourself and you have lost yourself. That's where Christ begins. Because he says, whoever wishes to save his life has got to lose it. And I'm telling you that I've never felt more peace and comfort than when I lost my life for Christ's sake. And I don't want you to beat yourselves up over these things. I just want you to freely give them to God and know that he is faithful and will forgive you of all unrighteousness. You don't have to live a life of condemnation, always condemning yourself and being angry at yourself. But you serve a God who Jesus, at the end of his life, says... I. How I longed to gather you together 
as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And so that's the idea that you get of Christ, that he just wants to lovingly bring everybody in. But without repentance, he can't do it. And so don't lie to yourself and say that he wants those things apart from repentance, though. Don't, please don't make a mistake and hear me saying that. Brothers and sisters, I love you guys and I care about you. And I want to see you guys living a life in Christ that you could only dream of. Paul says at the end of Ephesians, he says that he is able to do exceedingly great things beyond your wildest imagination. And I want him to see you guys, to see, I want you to see him doing those things in your life, not living a life of condemnation. Amen. I look forward to spending Easter with you guys and uh, talking about the resurrection. It's going to be a good time. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that when we come to you in repentance, that you don't strike us in condemnation, but you have grace. And Lord, I thank you for your grace that you tell us leads us to repentance. And so, Father, I pray that there would be no one here under the sound of my voice that is beating themselves up over sins. But, Lord, I pray that we would be able to come to the altar and just joyfully lay down the old man so that you could fill us up anew. Father, I pray that as we go throughout this week that you would continually teach us that life begins at the end of ourself. And, Lord, I pray that we would never cling to any sin Uh, that you have called us to give up. Lord, help us to be a people who willingly lay down sin in an effort to grow closer to you. And Father, I thank you for the promise you have given us that though our sins are less scarlet, you'll make them white as snow. And Father, I love the thought that whenever we come to you and lay our sin down and confess it, you cast it into the ocean as far as the east is from the west. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we need that. And, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would stand for a hymn of invitation. And if you are here and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never experienced that forgiveness that is found in Christ, or if you're a believer who seems just overridden with with sin and guilt, I pray that today would be the day that you give it all to God and you go home and you eat that choice meal a free man. And so if we can help you in any way, uh, let us know. And if any of you want to come and pray and thank God for his goodness and his mercy, uh, you're welcome to do that at the altar as well. Jonathan? Good one to close on. Amen. I enjoyed that one. Guys, it was a pleasure to be with you guys. I always enjoy worshiping with you uh, each and every week. Uh, You are an encouraging bunch, and I hope that you uh, leave here and have a good meal as a child of God, knowing that when you live a life of repentance, you are not under condemnation for those things, but they are through. And so look forward to Easter. Look forward to sunrise service with you all. Don't forget to take your bulletin home. There's a lot of good things going on this week. Um, Dr. Tarkington, would you do the honor of closing us in prayer?